We'll find our way in your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. You're there already. You're there? You were there yesterday? Bless you, my child. (laughs) Is this a cup of cold water in Jesus' name? All right, Acts chapter 6. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for the word of God. Lord, I thank you for the history of the beginning of your church and the outpouring of your Holy Spirit into the continuance of the doctrine of Jesus Christ, uh, who you are, Lord, and and how your spirit and how you gave teaching and how you answered prayer and and how the miracles and the power of God bore witness from the beginning Really, Lord, of your truth and how your works continued with your with those that followed you. So, Lord, tonight we ask that as we come, we would learn and we would consider into our own lives uh, how the book of Acts is the history of, of the working of the Holy Spirit and that it would continue with us who believe you. So we ask your blessing tonight upon the word of God, uh, really into our lives, to be doers uh, of the Word of God, so I thank you, and pray that you would stir us up by your Holy Spirit to to live more and more in our daily lives for you. And this we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, Acts chapter five into six, uh, we we find that there was great opposition that had arisen, uh, really to the to the works of Jesus continuing with the disciples, and as the apostles had received, uh, really had received persecution, had received, um, uh, well, trouble, and then commands not to preach in Jesus. Uh, This brings us to a great place, considering the days that we're in, and uh, I've been considering this a bit in relationship to uh, the last couple years. I think we've been through that. We can find that, that many, many in a, in a form of opposition, stopped gathering, stopped going forth, stopped a lot of the things that God had commanded the church to do. And, uh, and really, it comes to this place with us in understanding that there are things to be learned as we go back uh, to the beginning concerning the work of God continuing in the church. And uh, the words that Gamaliel had said when they wanted to, they wanted to kill the apostles, and you you understand that the Sanhedrin had gathered together and they wanted to kill him. And we know later on Saul of Tarsus, that was the rabbi that he sat under. And Gamaliel had said in chapter 5 of the book of Acts, hey, if this thing is of God, right, if it's of God, you will not be able to withstand it. In fact, if you kill these men and this is of God, you will be found to be be fighting against God. And he gave a couple examples of those who had arisen and said they were somebody, and when the when the leader died, it came to nothing. Well, here we are bearing witness to the truth that at the death of Jesus Christ, and then that which has come forth in the truth and witness and power of the resurrection, that 
that working that began in the beginning that the Sanhedrin tried to kill, it's of God. That beginning of the working through the apostles was a work of God that nobody could withstand. And we're, we're witnessing that today. And we're actually a part of that. We're, we bear witness to this truth that this is a work of God that has continued and gone forth into every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Now, we uh, spent a bit of time yesterday um, in Valley City, and for me it was like a throwback to Fargo 30 years ago, but with a lot less people. But the same type of makeup of what you would see with peoples and uh, just just a couple of people that that you would say are are not from around you know this part of the country having lived in Fargo now for the last 20 years and especially i would say the last 15 we have more people now living from all kinds of peoples of every tribe tongue people and nation under heaven they live there and many follow other gods and yet i i come now more firmly to the book of acts and how the working of the Holy Spirit had done a, a work that was of God through the, through the witness of the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And if you consider that, my viewpoint is this. Preach the word. Right? The words that Paul said to Timothy, preach the word. In season, out season. Convince, exhort, rebuke with all long-suffering teaching. Preaching Christ. Now, I, I take that. If you see it with me, that when they had come to that conclusion, they actually listened to Gamaliel and they decided not to try to kill all the disciples. And when, when that happened, they, they beat the disciples and they let them go. That's verse 40 of chapter 5. And this will take us right into 6 tonight. They departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for his name's sake. Now, if you notice that, their perspective on suffering and their perspective of being identified with Jesus Christ, they're very close. They followed Jesus. They saw his sufferings. They, they witnessed the death and resurrection. They're very close to the sufferings of Jesus Christ. And it's also where the power of God resides. Great grace was upon them. Great fear was upon them. Great power. What happens to the church the farther away we get from the teachings of Jesus? The farther away we get from the teachings of Jesus, because they lived them, they practiced them, and they saw them, they walked with him, they believed them. I, I don't know right now if the church would suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. And again, this great, great check on our hearts. Would we praise God and, and, and glorify him that we were counted worthy to suffer for him? Now, those that have throughout history, because this repeats, but it doesn't stay there. Look what happens next in verse 42. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. That's pretty cool. Now, what happens with the church the farther they got away from the teachings of Jesus and the practices and, and the reliance upon God to live the Christian life? What's happened to them? Well, we've organized into nice little sectors where we only, we only go to teachings for one hour once a week. And we'll preach from time to time when, when it's convenient. Now, it doesn't take much, and I'm not here to point out all the problems. We know that the church, right, together with the world, we're all in trouble. 
specifically the church, we can see across the board of what's called church, we can see very clearly we are quite a ways away from the book of Acts. And so we love to study revivals because what does that do for us? It reinstills in us the hope that from time to time, the Holy Spirit revives the church unto the teachings and practices that we see in the book of Acts. And it becomes exciting. Well, what can we grasp onto? I, I believe if we'll, if we'll take it, if we grasp onto 42 and then go right into chapter 6, this is where we're at. And if we hold to this, we will never drift away from the teachings of Jesus. What did Paul warn? Well, if Paul wrote Hebrews, what did he warn the, the Hebrew believers? For them to be where lest they drift away. Now, that book of Hebrews stands as a record to reveal that the believers, the Jewish believers in Jesus Christ, over time began to drift away from the power of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ unto, in their personal lives, living for him more than one hour a week. Now, not too flattering to say that that in many ways you could describe most of the people who call themselves Christians, born-again Christians, evangelical. Many of them have turned following Jesus more into a spectator event of something they watch by going to a place once a week. Now, this for me is to stir us up in our own personal lives to a couple of things. And I believe it comes Chapter 6, verse 1, and we're only doing seven verses tonight, so if you're wondering, I'm talking all this background and how long are we going to be talking this, we're going to concentrate on seven verses to see that out of that, when they were told not to preach Christ, what did they do? They preached Christ. See, how many people stopped preaching and teaching Jesus just for nothing? But they, they, were, they were forced not to. Into 6, it says, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, now, I'll remind you, you're gonna, you can think of it however you want to, but in the beginning of chapter 5, there was a blessed subtraction from the ministry of the church in Jerusalem. Right? Ananias and Sapphira. Many times God will subtract before he multiplies. The, it's his church. It's, it's those things that I've watched it over and over. How not, not just in our fellowship, but in different places where there are those who want to take the branch that Jesus has made fruit, fruitful, and they want to turn that branch to, to start to, to draw the light from another source. If you've ever seen a plant grow and you, you understand how the, the plant will turn to that light so it can grow towards that light, many will turn to something else. We find in that subtraction, when Ananias and Sapphira wanted to lie to the Holy Spirit, what would have happened if it was accepted in the church at that point to lie to the Holy Spirit? It would have changed everything in the church. Now in that subtraction, and we now read that, that it was multiplied. And let's be honest, one of the things that when we talk about, if you look at the emphasis in 42, daily in the temple, preaching and teaching Jesus, the emphasis more has become upon the numbers of the church. And we, we have measured, and I'll be very honest with you, at the appearance of the mega church. That has been the mark of success. How large is the church? How many people are coming? How many services? Almost like we're running ahead of cattle. We got a we got a we got a feedlot, and 
How many heads you run this last week? And, and many guys talk that way. Now, I believe that that too much emphasis on the numbers, rather on the quality of the work. And I absolutely love this about the book of Acts. We get numbers in the beginning of those that were saved. We had 3,000 saved, and then the number of the men came to be about 5,000. And you can look from there on in the book of Acts, and you will not see the numbers except for one more time in Ephesus where the number of the men who received the baptism with the Holy Spirit was about 12. And then that work in Ephesus grew up from that. Now, it's the quality of the work. Well, if we can grasp today, let's look at this as they're numbered. What, what happens is we have the beginnings of the circumstances of what I would call church trouble. In those days when the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. Or maybe your version says the Grecians. So these, this is not, the Gentiles are not saved yet. Again, as we look at this, the Hellenists would be the culture, right? The Greek culturized Jews. Because when Alexander the Great went forth to conquer the known world, what did he do? He promoted Greek culture. Now, I introduce this in this way because of living in Fargo, and, and we have now seen culture is vastly different in a city based off of people that have come, and some of those cultures come to divide and not assimilate, and and then there are those who want to hold to their culture, and then lines of separation and culture, and it's the same thing that arose as the disciples multiplied. We live in these days. The church has multiplied way beyond the beginning, and so now if we figure this out as we look at the conflict that arose, they didn't start another denomination. Right? Because of the differences in the church, there arose a complaint between the Hebrews and the Hellenists. Hebrew culture background, Hellenist, Hebrew, right? Hellenist, Greek, Hebrew, Greek culture background, all Jews. And there, they, the complaint was the widows were neglected. Now my pastor has a saying, and I've just, I've received it. And then I check it out, right? These are the things that he, his claim is this. Culture kills a relationship with Jesus Christ. Whenever we exalt a culture above, and if they really were, again, if the, well, let's just call it this, they perceived that there was, they were being slighted in the distribution. Our widows are not being taken care of as well as, and that's really the argument. So culture does not speak of an ethnic race. We are now living in days, again, days in which the church has multiplied, and we find that the church has become susceptible to the lies of culture that have been heaped upon them to describe various things concerning race and culture that have nothing to do with the teachings of Jesus. And we watch what the church did in the beginning to solve this, that in this perception of or in the reality of being slighted or being divided, let's face it, the practice of giving the funds to meet everybody's needs came to an end when there was nothing more to sell. Isn't that what happened to the church in Jerusalem? They were selling properties, bringing and distributing, distributing that, and it came to an end. So many times perception will rule in judgment. This is important in church conflict, and we see out of that, that working and power of giving themselves to preach and teach, they're in a healthy environment and conflict still arises, And what the church does with the conflict 
you know, whether it's really happening or it's not happening, it comes down to one thing. It's how do we answer this in the wisdom that comes from above rather than the wisdom that's here on the earth? Wisdom from below is earthly, sensual, devilish. Or if you understand that, James 3, right, is that 13 through 18? Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by his conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. And that where confusion is, every evil's there. You, how many people have been so frustrated over the conflicts in church that arises and then they're looking at this and they, they want to apply a wisdom and they search for an answer amongst the wisdom of man and to find out what to do? Well, what we learn out of this, this is James three seventeen and 18. Wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those that make peace. So if there really was a a preferential treatment for part of the body of Christ in Jerusalem, based on Hebrews, along the lines of culture, or even if it's perceived, I watch denominations argue critical race theory. I pay attention to these things. I don't preach them, but I pay... I, I. I ruled that out in what we teach very quickly because it doesn't test to the scriptures concerning the sinfulness of mankind, no matter what they are. And we come to this, that man looks at the outward, but God looks at the heart. But is the church susceptible? When the church multiplied, the church is susceptible to what? Two things, right? Perception and judgment or actual problems that come in of dividing the church. This is where Act 6 goes. Now, do we like, we don't like to talk about this, but we need to, don't we? Because we always think that we're, if everybody was a Christian, everything would be just fine, right? We, we apply something like a Rodney King philosophy of, can't we all just get along? And it really isn't about that, is it? Wisdom from above is different than wisdom from below. And we're going to watch, I believe, a word of wisdom come forth in the church. We, we talk about the gifts of the Spirit, right? We talk about gifts of tongues and interpretation. We talk about miracles, healings. Really, in the book of Acts, we put forth those gifts of manifestation and say, look at the witness of the Holy Spirit upon the Word of God in this healing. We, chapter 3, the man walking, leaping, praising God. But then we might de-emphasize the use of the gifts that we see them continuing. How important it is when we come to chapter 6 to see Gifts of teaching, gifts of faith. We, we're going to see gifts of wisdom or word of wisdom, not, not for evangelizing or having a great move of the Holy Spirit in harvest, but for the unity and the operation and the, and the functioning of the oneness of the body of Christ. Gifts of the Spirit. Verse 2, it says, The twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Now, growing up in a church called church, because they told me it was church, but growing up unregenerated, that's my way of saying I was not born again, yet by the, I don't know, my parents brought us all the time, and we did all the homework. I was a good student like I was in school. I became a good student in church. I could do all the memorization. I could answer all the questions. I could spit back. I could memorize. Okay, 
And again, why I say that is I was chosen as the student representative of our now former ALC denomination put together with the LCA to form one new biggest Lutheran group of denomination churches called the ELCA. Now, that's become a bad word, right, amongst those of us who follow and believe and serve? Why I bring it up here is I was called upon to serve as the youth representative on what they called the church call team, where that that committee would gather together and call a new pastor. And so candidates were put before us by the denomination. I'm sorry I'm boring you with all this. It's not boring. I want to know this stuff. Whatever it is. And they put before us, and, and I learned how they would do this, and was put before us to choose a new pastor because the other one was retiring. And he's the one I knew all my life. And they put candidates before us. And this call committee, as they called it, and as a youth student representative, not born again, but yet had heard all these things, and I could just spit words out. I didn't know what they meant, and I, I still maybe wouldn't know what had happened. Now, when this came forth, one of the things I clearly remember, and why I go to this story, is they ranked all the candidates that they would send out for pastors based off of what their strengths and weaknesses were. And I watched a call committee pay no attention because the guy that they called, ultimately I called, I was with, I was on him, with him on it. The guy was ranked super low in the ministry of the Word of God. Not a great Bible teacher. But very compassionate. I remember him, soft voice. Oh, he could, a listener, you know, things like that. And it comes down to it. What do we see that arises for the church in the beginning in the midst of conflict? They, they, re, they recognize one thing. We are not going to sacrifice the other aspects of the ministry. We're not going to sacrifice the word of God in prayer at the necessity of other ministries. No, it's not that they were above waiting tables. Now, how did it go with our church and having that guy pastor? Horrible Bible teacher. The guy before us, the old guy who was there all the time, who that's the one we grew up with, he had a passion and a desire for the Word of God. This next guy, I, I don't even know if he was teaching the Bible. I just know that looking back, I'm like, that's why. Now, we come to this. Let's just say it. Schisms in the church can be deadly. Now, the church I grew up in, congregational-led, I don't know where that started, but maybe amongst the where the peoples had come from or forming together a church. And the structure was the people voted on hiring a pastor. I didn't realize all of our pastors were hirelings. I came to the Bible and I'm like, we, every pastor I've ever had in my entire life was a hireling. There were someone or some, a group controlling, and get this, all the voting went by, we would do this, by a division. Some wanted this, some did not. The majority has it. Clap the, va- the gavel. That's what we do. Now, I don't even know what the vote was in bringing the guy that I was involved on the call committee and saying all those things, but I learned some things. Right? Congregational churches, led congregational-led churches, you might as well just say, we'll do whatever you want to do, because just to keep the congregation together, uh, what kind of a pastor do you want? What does he got to do? Yeah, this one, will, this one will do what you want him to do. A hireling. Now, when I come to this, the schism in the church in that day was over the fair and equitable distribution of 
probably less funds. Not everybody could have all, you know, everything they wanted, but it was distributing along the meeting the needs, meeting the needs, meeting the needs. I don't think we're not above that because one can have a perception that like you might have, say, two families in need, but when you follow the Holy Spirit, you don't necessarily meet the needs the same way. You know, as I say that, the perception can be, well, you like them more and all that stuff. And But the whole thing of this, schisms within the church can be deadly. All that for me to say that. So what is God most interested in? He's most interested in the attitudes of our heart. That when we're together alone with him and our environments of when we're together, it's an environment of love. Because the the Spirit of God can work. I, I love the Proverbs, right? I, I love the Proverbs that describe how love covers a multitude of sins. That's a proverb, right? Or is that New Testament? Oh, it's a proverb. Oh, so so the Old Testament does have the love and... Okay. Thanks, guys. <laughs> he doesn't know. The guy up front doesn't know the Bible? I like this. So how important is that we walk in love with one another? So you come all the way through of what God has done for you in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, and you get into put off the old man, put on the new man in Ephesians 4. And we come to Ephesians 5, and it says, Be imitators of God, dear children. Walk in love. Now, this is very important. So what, what's the first challenge of the church separating over the perception and or actual treating of one another differently along cultural lines, the first real attack now in in regards to division in the church that could be deadly, and it comes all the way down to how you interact with people, you know that a division can come just between two people. So Paul is pleading with the church of Corinth, and, and he reasons with them in the very first chapter because they're a house of division, and, and he's, he's saying you're carnal, where divisions are, you're carnal. And he, he's describing, well, some are saying, I'm Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, and he goes on to describe, who are we anyway? He says, we're really nothing. Some, you know, and he, he describes some watered, some planted, but God gave the increase, and we're workers together. And, and all that understanding brings us to this. In, in the body of Christ, it is far more important to Again, in this case, they applied the wisdom from above. If you have a problem with someone, there's really only two people you should ever talk to that about. The person you have a problem with and God. Or I'll put it in the proper order. Talk with God and then the person that you are having trouble with. Now, when it comes down to that, do you see how far the church can easily stray from the teachings, and, and then just learning in Acts chapter 6 what they had done. And, and I think this takes that effort with one another to describe if there is a perception. Now, you know what I do? If I have this, like I think somebody's doing something, you know how I approach them? I said, I have this perception that you are doing this, this, and this, and I have this perception that, that this is leading to this. I said, will you, will you change my perception, please? And I'm I'm telling them that that which I'm seeing, what I perceive in their lives, what I perceive that they might be doing either to me or or to, sometimes I get involved when it's another, and, and then I say, change my perception. And I found that to be a great way to actually approach all these things that, that many times it will be a perception and judgment. 
Do you realize that when we hold to a perception of judgment that so-and-so doesn't like me or they looked at me or they said this or they gossiped about this and whatever it might be, and when it comes down to it, if we take it to the Lord and, and then pray about it, and then when we go speak to the individual to deal with the issues, to bring it out in the open, it's this, walk in the light with one another. Instead of like leaving it in the darkness where Satan can mess with us. So what do the, what do the apostles do? Right? What they do is they come forth and they bring it into the light. They don't, they don't say, well, we, guys, don't tell anybody we're having problems with the ministration of distribution to the widows. They didn't say that, did they? They bring it into the light in three, and they said, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over the business. So what did they do with the conflict and the perception? So I know this. I know that those that they appointed over that ministration with the perception and judgment that they are going to need to, in all their ministering, the physical needs, they're also going to be addressing the relationships of loving one another and in the, the, the distribution unto one another and, and the needs being met, and they're going to need to do that. So who do they choose? They choose men full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom to appoint over that. We have here in this the beginning of what, what we would describe biblically, the role of deacons in the church. We find out that this word deacon has its root meaning of the word to wait on tables. Of those that they assigned to a point over this, they, men who would serve in the physical needs in the same way a waiter would wait on the table, but the men had to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Good reputation, right? You, you look at the men that they chose. When Paul writes to Timothy, he lays it all out of the qualifications of a deacon and that a deacon must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. First Timothy 3, beginning in verse 8. And he continues to describe what a deacon is, what a, what a servant in the church is. And you know how we really use the term deacon now in church? Ministry leader. That's really almost an exact equivalent. So when you want to be a ministry leader and what you're looking for, again, I just add it to Acts 6 from the beginning, a man full of, of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom to appoint over a ministry as a ministry leader or a woman, right? There are deaconesses in the New Testament, right, that you can appoint as a ministry leader, the way we understand that. Good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Now, the, the qualifications concerning how they are at home, let them first be tested and then serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent and not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. That's a deacon. From the beginning, that reputation, then Paul lays it out as Timothy and Titus are to appoint elders and ministry leaders. Again, that's the way we use it but deacons in the church to meet the physical needs. No doubt when you're meeting the physical needs. Oh, and they, right, they were also to be bold in faith, which is in Christ Jesus. In order for what? Verse, Acts 6, verse 4. In order, put all that in order so what can continue? We will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. Now, I love Calvary Chapel. Right? That's where I have walked with the Lord. So I talk about my upbringing in church unsaved. Guess what that resulted and produced in my life when I came to college 
and I was I had all my freedoms to do whatever I wanted to do. Guess what that all that background amounted to me at that moment and point in time? I'm gonna go do my own thing. My philosophies that I had at age twelve overtook me and I was gone for ten years. But when I came back and I what I come back to? Jesus came and got me, and I came back, and I came back to the Word of God. My brother, who is going to a Calvary Chapel called it was Harvest Rest and Fellowship in Virginia, and and so that that's a church that was the man came out of Greg Laurie's church in in Riverside. This is 35, 40 years ago. Came out to the East Coast, and my brother started showing up there. And so when I came back to the Lord and I started to walk with the Lord, what did my brother do? The Word of God. And why do I love Calvary Chapel? Let's be honest. The ministry of the Word of God. And what do you see in the book of Acts? You could talk all you want, and you could build your church upon signs and wonders, and you could be building all those things and 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 staying in chapter 1 of Acts and never progressing all the way through what happened with the church. And we come to 6-4. What's the greatest answer? What, what, what can we never put on the altar to sacrifice? Should have we ever called that man who was a, was a bad Bible teacher? It's the ministry of the Word of God. Oh, and what's the other one in there? Prayer. <coughs> Continually to prayer. Now, I had a fun time yesterday. We had a prayer booth. I had this vision of setting up the prayer booth. You know, the prayer booth would be set up. We'd have tables. And if the Holy Spirit poured out yesterday when we were together in Valley City, we would be praying for people. You know, we'd be praying for their needs. We'd be praying for answer prayer. We'd be praying for salvation. We'd be praying. We'd be busy in that prayer booth. Now, the Holy Spirit didn't pour out yesterday. We still set everything up. And I'm not saying the Holy Spirit didn't do things, but again, the vision was everything was in place that if the Holy Spirit poured out, we had people ready to pray with people to be saved. Now, as I say that, we did everything that he showed us to do. And we were going to, we actually had difficulty getting the prayer banner that we were going to hang up on the canopy. Well, lo and behold, the prayer banner didn't come in. So we made a couple of tag board signs. And when we are setting up the canopy yesterday in the 600 mile an hour wind, not quite. The canopy breaks. We didn't even end up with a canopy. There would have been no place to hang the prayer banner that said, need prayer. But those two signs now are there. And so what do I do? I get another one of the brothers that says, let's go make a loop. And what we had put on this, what we had put on this banner, it says, or this, again, it's, what's that foam tag board stuff? And it says, do you, do you need prayer? And we walked the loop about four blocks where all the people were. And this brother and I, we, people would not make eye contact with us. Now, I, I know it's forward. Don't, don't get me wrong. I know that what we did was very forward for that culture. Remember, I've lived in Fargo a long time, and that was a throwback for me. But why do I say about this here? If you really have a ministry of prayer and you're giving yourself continually to prayer, all of a sudden prayer becomes what? The most vital thing that the church needs. Now, this is the part I didn't see first when I came to Calvary Chapel. But I'll tell you this. What I now know is the ministry of word is visible to see, right? Ministry of the word of God, the teachings is laid out. But did you know? I know my pastor prays. I know he prays continually. And when people, when when God was doing a working with Calvary Chapel, 
with with in Costa Mesa with Chuck Smith and people were coming from all over the country to find out what they were doing so they could have it happen too. And that's how many started to imitate the style of music. Now, Chuck was not a fashion pastor, so they nobody mimicked his fashion, but they began to try to, maybe it's the style of service, maybe it's the style of music. Very few caught the ministry of the Word of God, but even more, they would never listen to Chuck's words, where he said, let me tell you the real secret. He says, we have the men of the church here at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa have a Saturday night prayer meeting every night, and many times that prayer meeting, as they pray for the needs of the people, they pray for the work of God, they pray for God to prosper this ministry in the effectiveness of people's lives being changed. He says many times those men will fast and they will pray all night long on Saturday nights for what's going to happen the next day in Sunday service. And you know how many people went back home to set that up? Probably not very many. They, they would say, oh, that's not it. What did we learn from the book of Acts? And if you ever study Spurgeon's church, he had three or 4,000 people coming to Sunday morning without amplification. We're talking many were coming to hear him teach the Bible. You understand that? And you know what, you know what he would, they would, they would ask him the same questions. What's going on that's happening here? You know what he would do? He would take them, those that would inquire and ask, and they had a room directly under where, where they, where they, where they stood and preached and taught the word of God. And they had a room full of people who would pray while the services were going on. They called it the boiler room. Now, I don't know if it was because the boilers were in there, but but it really was they were fervently praying for God to be at work. Now, let's just take this full circle tonight of where I began in light of what's going on in the world. Hey, every one of us in the room believe in prophecy, and, and we're seeing the Antichrist on the rise. We're seeing perilous times. Don't go to despair. We are seeing a church divided. We're seeing many bow the knee. We're seeing the apostasy. We're having all kinds of, if you will, division that can cause all kinds of trouble. Some go on to preach a false unity. If we all get back together, and they say it that way, if we all get along, then then Jesus will be happy. That's not what happened in the book of Acts. What they did was seek wisdom and understanding and put men in place who would be full of the Holy Spirit to administer the needs. And what did they put forward? Ministry of the Word of God and prayer is now the time for the church who still believes to do what? I I present unto you, it's time for us to give ourselves continually to pray and the ministry of the word of God. You see why I love Calvary Chapel? Turns out they both were there. And I had to learn how to pray. I'll be very honest with you. This was my greatest challenge as a pastor, is I had to learn to pray. And when I came to that conclusion, somewhere around 2013, where the Holy Spirit said to us in Fargo that we're a church of Sardis, and I I just took it to heart. And, And guess where I went to? Prayer. Prayer is the life of the church. Now, what happens when I ask Christians, do you pray? What's my, what's the answer just about everybody says to me? Not enough. Do you know why I know people won't make eye contact with me when I'm walking around? In a, in, a, in a small community that says, do you need prayer? Nobody's come up for that. 
Now, I'm not doing it to do I'm just simply, I want them to read the sign. I know the witnesses what? That prayer was available. Would have prayed for you today. Now, how, how important this is, I, I, I guess I've elevated it in my life. I'll say it this way. If the minister gives up his prayer and study time in order to attend to other things, he'll end up standing unprepared for the people come Sunday morning. Just a few more verses, we'll wrap up tonight. Verse 5, the saying pleased the whole multitude. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit. We'll get introduced to him more. I wanted to reserve Stephen's life. I didn't want to cross into Stephen. We'll cover him next week and hopefully get as far into his word of, really of rebuke to, to Israel. We have Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. So I believe here's where we see the gift of the word of wisdom at work. This is that which which God gave them by the Spirit, these men to point a point over this. This is the word of wisdom. This is the Holy Spirit wisdom from above. Right? Men that will be impartial, men that will judge rightly, men that will again administer that in wisdom. It's also interesting that if you read all those names, guess what? They all have Greek names. So who was being slighted? Well, it was the Grecian or the Hellenist Jews who said they were being slighted. So look at the wisdom that the Holy Spirit employs. Of all the men they put forth, they put forth all men with names of the Greek or Hellenist culture. You see how that addressed, in again, the wisdom of God? They set them before the apostles. And what did the apostles do? They prayed. So... Walking by faith, praying, seeking out men, and they prayed. What, what would have been, been the best thing that call committee I was involved with many years ago? What would have been the best thing we could have done? Best thing we could have done was prayed. Now, I happened to go to a prayer meeting uh, for a visitation of a, well, let's say a family member in our church had someone close in their life die. We went for the people in our church to support them and because very close family member, young death, and it was a drug overdose. Don't know if it was intentional or not. That, that we'll never know. We'll never know that answer. But we're there, and we're let's go to the visitation, but I want to get there for the prayer meeting. And there was one open prayer to open the service and that's all the praying that happened openly now i'm not going to judge them i'm just i'm heartbroken you come to a prayer meeting and when you really believe that prayer is the answer and and what people really need when they're going through trouble and i was admonished back in march spending time with with jeff solwold from from madison pastors of calvary chapel there i call the guy on the phone and every, you do not get off the phone with Jeff without praying for each other. You do not. You might end your conversation. You might say goodbye. But he says, let's pray about this together. I just admonished. Like there's a man continually giving himself continually in prayer. I loved what he shared with us, how, how a guy that he knew was ending his his ministry and closing everything up in Chicago. They had a building. They had no people. It was all coming to an end. 
And they took, and again, every nonprofit corporation has to have an asset disillusionment plan if they don't want somebody else to seize them or tax them. It's the way the government works, right? So what did they do? In their plan, they handed it over to the church where Jeff pastors. So all of a sudden, they have a building in Chicago. They're in Madison. They're not doing any ministry in Chicago. And what Jeff shared with us, you know what he said? His word to us, he said, this is what we did. Sunday service would end. And for two months, every Sunday, we went and drove down to that building and we prayed to God, what do we do with your building? He said, we just sell the building and then take the money into to our ministry. And he said, it's not our building. That's the first thing God showed him. It's not your building. Through prayer, and again, as they prayed, and I loved what he shared with me, and just kind of admonishes me to be continually in prayer. It took about two or three months of every Sunday driving from Madison to Chicago. You know what I want to do on my Sunday afternoons? My wife knows what I want to do. I want to rest. I want to take a nap. I, I, I stayed up late. I got up early and... Woman, don't you know that I'm ministering to all these people? <laughs> hey, come on. I mean, this is, how easily can we do what? Anything but pray. And I love what Jeff said. About two or three months after praying, while they're there, a guy comes along and knocks and says, what's, what's with this building? And, and we, have, we have a... And it turns out this guy, and, he, and he's, he's of a different culture, has a whole bunch of people that are meeting and he's ministering unto them, they have no place to meet. And through prayer, they had been praying for God to show them what to do. The guy knocks on the door and, and they discern through prayer that they were to give the building to this man in this ministry. Not a Calvary Chapel. It's not, a, you know, it's got to stay in this. It's none of that stuff. It's the Lord's building. Now, what happened then? And this is, this is again... Why, why I just even pause for, for five or six verses. What did they do with those men that they chose? You, they didn't choose them carnally, did they? <coughs> they prayed, and then they did what? Laid hands on them. What did Paul say to Timothy? Lay hands on no man suddenly. So you take your time. They, I don't, we don't know how much time took, but they brought these men forth, and they prayed, they laid hands on them. And what happened next was an increase to the ministry. Now we can talk all about the actual reason why you lay on hands, or you can just receive it what? That's what they did. When they chose the deacons, and they, they, these are the men that have been chosen, and they had prayed for them, they laid hands on them, and everybody said what? Those are the men. Look at verse 7, and it's where we wrap up. Then the word of God spread. Number of disciples multiplied greatly. In Jerusalem, and then a, a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now, I just leave it with this for us to really understand how beautiful the ministry of the Word of God is. And there will be all kinds of things that always come up in every congregation that will try to put an end to the ministry of the Word of God. Or how about this one? There will be so many things that happen in church that keep the church from praying. You never fall into prayer. You, now, You'll pray exuberant prayers when you're in trouble, and you'll then you, you you didn't fall into prayer, you you suffered into prayer. Lord, I need you. But really, the place of of praying in such a way. And after Jeff had said those things in in March, and like, and and for those of you, the men at, at the men's conference, or maybe you listened to the sessions. Ron Hodson brought a session on prayer. 
It's not a flashy session. In fact, you might have even missed it. You're like, yeah, I forgot all about that session. For me, I took that session to heart, and I was like, Lord, I want to pray more like Jeff. I'm, I'm hearing the word that Ron brought. I want to give myself continually to more prayer. And that's where I was at in March. Now, the next week, I went out and traveled uh, reluctantly to go and speak at a conference. I tried to get out of going to Phoenix, Arizona this year. Right? Honestly. But while I was there and I had all this time, and I had this time as I was preparing for what I was going to say, in my devotions while I'm in Phoenix at the former hotel, now turned Airbnb, whatever it is, and they redid them. And what it really means is you, you don't have anybody there to ask for help when you need something done at that old hotel. But you know what the Lord did? He laid out for me the vision as he spoke to me as I was devotionally in the book of Acts. And he showed me that there were cities that we needed to go and preach the gospel to this summer. That was birthed while I had come out of the, the men's conference and been exhorted and told and over and over, prayer in the word of God, prayer in the word of God, pray, pray continually. And I prayed and I laid out, and I look at my notes, I've looked over and over them for the last four months. The Lord gave vision. He showed why we're doing this. He named the specific cities. And then I began to Holy Spirit pray and plan these things out. So my, my immediate, just in the natural realm, was we're going to preach the gospel to four cities this year. Right? And I had them all out. And, and then through I continued in prayer, and the Holy Spirit said, not this one. And so now I still have a guy who wants me to go and go, like, let's do this. After yesterday, he's like, Let's go do this every weekend. Right? That's, that's where he's at. It was exciting for him. I had another guy say, I can't wait for next month when we do the next one. And you know what I, I go back to? Now what do I need to do? I'm going to pray. And Lord, what are we going to do? So here's my thought. Psalm 74 is my thought. Right? And it's one thing. When you see the enemy raising his banners and exalting himself above the knowledge of God, that's time for us to cry out to God for a work of salvation. You see if you can find that in Psalm 74. When you see the enemy exalting himself and raising his banners above the knowledge of God, you see the enemy trying to put his banners in, in, in the sanctuary and house of God, that's when that psalmist understood and prophesied and prayed for a work of salvation to come. Why am I at the way I'm at, where I'm at right now? Because of all the prayer in the last several months that we would do this. Now, one of the suggestions that I got from the guy who wants to go out every weekend, he's looking for dates for Grand Forks. He's looking for dates and doing all these things. And I said, my priority is this. Now, I'm not saying we're not going to do other things, but what am I saying? I must do that which, when I prayed, God showed me to do. And what will you do? I'm, I would really love to have about five guys that I could send out to pastor and get work started in North Dakota. I would love to be able to send men out too to pastor. I mean, you guys, you guys know this. You've endured with me how long we've waited and looked. Is there a guy for Grand Forks? I want to send a guy to Valley City, right? Jamestown, Wapaton, and Devil's Lake. Who's going to get that one? Just the name. You're like, who's, who's going to go there? But I know, is that five guys? Grand Forks, Valley City, Jamestown, Wapaton, 
Devil's light. Time is short. So what do I do? Oh, there's no more revival. I, if God wants to revive, let him revive. But what, is, what, what do we have? In the days when the church multiplied, we have the ministry of prayer and the word of God. Does God, does God still answer prayer? You see where this stirs up for me and where I hand off to you tonight? So let's renew this and revive this. And what should we revive? Let's pray for the man that God's called here to pastor. Right? Let's pray for that. Now, for years when I would pray and ask the Lord, you know what the Lord would answer and say to me? You are. I'm answered prayer then. So you understand this. This is where I'm at. Those prayers that God answered years ago, do you, I, I listen to guys, and I, I don't get them, but I, I listen to them, and they say, the Lord is calling us to this town in Ohio, and we're going to go start a Calvary Chapel. And, and then I see the guy in two years, and I found out he's been to three other places other than where he was supposed to go. So is that the Lord, or it's not the Lord? One of the guys who started a Calvary Chapel in the Twin Cities area, oh, the Lord's calling me to Ireland. He was there for two months. Would you stop saying it's the Lord? You you understand this. Do you know why I don't like pastors? Well, I'm one of them, but what's the issue? How easily can we say whatever we want to say? Right? And this is why I come back to this. What do we hold to? Do we have that prayer in the word of God that says, this is answer prayer, and I don't move from this unless the Lord says so? That kind of stuff. So anyway, you can form your own call committee and call your own pastor if you want a hireling. You can do that. I've been involved on that side. Why am I so like, don't take votes on these things? What happens whenever the congregation voted in the Old Testament? They voted for a golden calf. What happens to our country when we get to vote for our leaders? I mean, So what happens in the church when the church gets to vote for their leaders. Do we not need men of the Holy Spirit and faith and prayer and good night? Heavenly Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for prayer. Lord, stir us up for prayer and the ministry of the word. Stir us up to preach Christ, teach the word. Lord, we ask and pray for the man you've called to pastor in Grand Forks, and we ask in your timing for you to fulfill that answered prayer. Lord, I do ask for five men to go out to those cities I named. I ask for men to be raised up and ready to go. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And Lord, that they be married men, so I don't have to have so much troubles. In Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) Uh, So I, I ask the...